Thanks for tuning in to JR's Hunt for Life Suicide Prevention Podcast Safe Talk with Jenny Hunter and Billy Floyd, where there are no judgments and talk saves lives. Welcome, welcome everyone to another Safe Talk. We have, of course, come on, we wouldn't have Safe Talk if it wasn't for Jenny Hunter. My partner in crime, Jenny, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Billy. Thank you for asking, and how are you doing? I'm doing lovely, putting out all the energy that I know I deserve back. Positivity on a loop. We fight through what's wrong, and we make things right. And today, we are going to do a lot of highlighting as we go forth with the story of JR. Now, for those who tuned in to episode number one, we really dove into who JR was as an individual, as a lover, as a man who really lived life to the fullest. He worked so hard in so many different fields. He was always there for his family, very supportive, very kind, very genuine. And towards the end of episode one, we really dove into the adverse times that kind of hit, that brewed up a little bit, and unfortunately, it led to why we're here today. So, Jenny, we are now going to talk episode two, and I'm going to leave this one up to you. I think we want to really go over those last few days or maybe the week before Um, JR took his life. So I want you to really get into this. I know it's a sensitive topic. Like we said before, you haven't publicly done this and you're doing a phenomenal job. And I know how challenging it must be. So Jenny, where do you want to start from here? The week before, a couple days, it's your time. Let's uh, hear you share. Well, Billy, let me say that I've, I've tried very hard to put into words JR's life, what he was like, the type of person he was. And that's hard to do uh, in just a few minutes. So I want to kind of go over a little bit that we did last time, and then we'll go into the rest of it. So JR, because of his addictions, wanted to get into our local college and talk to the addictionology classes and bring awareness of addiction to the students. He was very, very much aware of how insidious addiction is and how easily it can happen to a person. He always, always wanted to help others. Quite literally, JR saved lives. He, as a matter of fact, one life that he did save was the life of his wife. She had overdosed on some medication and she had stopped breathing. And he administered CPR to her until medical experts arrived. He literally saved her life. And he did this with a few other people. So let me start by saying that there's one lesson that I learned right off the bat. Several years ago, a friend of JR's took his life. And for some reason, this was before anything uh, had happened to JR. He was just a happy-go-lucky fellow. And for some reason, he felt the need to tell me he would never, ever do that. 
especially after he saw what it did to the family. And I was comforted by that, even though suicide had never been an issue in our family. But somewhere, somehow, that all changed. So I would like to uh, bring to points that when someone says they will not do this, even if it's not at the forefront, never been an issue, uh, never been a thought, please, please do not believe them to the point that you stop watching and listening. So to continue with his story, he, because of his addictions and family life and things that were going on with him, his business closed. A businessman that was local here uh, wanted to invest in that business and said he would help JR reopen that business. And JR threw himself into that and worked, worked, worked to get that open and was working every day just to find out that this businessman was actually planning to overtake the business. That was the first step into hopelessness for JR. Then because the business closed, they had no money, the house was being foreclosed. The house uh, never went into foreclosure. It did go up for sale. It was sold. And then they had nowhere to go. So he and his wife lived with us for a while. They lived in uh, JR's grandparents' uh, trailer house for a while in another home for a while as people were on vacations. And eventually, his wife's family bought a home for them to live in. They moved into that house. And JR felt that was a complete loss of his independence. So as a result, he became more and more depressed and sad and felt the world closing in on him. As a parent, I knew JR had prescriptions. I was constantly, constantly on edge and worried and anxious that he may try to overdose. Also, he, as an outdoorsman, had several firearms. And you can imagine the thoughts that I was having However, I kept thinking, how can he be so strong? He's going through this. He continues. It seemed to have hope. Uh, And as I look back, he was sliding into this downward spiral that he did not want me or his family to see in its entirety. One day, clearly out of the blue, A friend of ours called and said they had seen something on Facebook posted by JR and they were extremely worried for his safety. We saw it. We called the police to try and find him. Him and his wife had had some type of argument. He left the house. We did not know where he was. Uh, We eventually found him in a motel with some of his belongings, mostly his uh, medication that he that he took and the police uh, doing what they had to do found that he was at risk and they took him to the mental facility here for the 70 
two-hour hold. And so he, again, was losing a little more hope. When he did, go ahead. I was going to say when he was losing hope and, you know, you could feel it and like you always keep saying, wow, how is he doing this? How is he battling? He has so much on him. He's really fighting. And as impressed as you were, when you saw his hope diminishing by the day, by the minute, whatever it might be, how did you feel as a mother and the person who loves him the most? How did that make you feel? Did you ever really lose confidence or did you continuously keep saying, no, I can't believe he's doing this, but he's going to be okay. What was it like? Well, Billy, it was back and forth. It was my hope versus his lack of hope. And it was a, it was a tumultuous time in my head and in my heart. And uh, especially when he was released from this facility he told uh, me that if that had ever happened again where we, anyone called the authorities regarding his safety, he would take his life before the authorities ever got there. I still held out hope that him and his wife, I mean, people have desperate times. And many, many, many people lived through those desperate times. And that's what that's what my hope was, that he, he's going to make it. He's a very, very strong, strong-willed and charactered person. He's going to make this. And with every step of the way, I think I started refusing to see the reality, the possibility that this could happen. I would let that creep into my brain, and then I would immediately take it down. I did not want to think about that. I wanted to help in any way I can, and that's another point I would like to make, that parents or friends in this situation, when you see someone slipping, I want to urge you to do everything that you can so that Sadly, if this does happen, you will not have guilt to live with because you will know that you did everything you could think of to do to help this person. When JR was released, he would call me when he felt like he was at risk, which was the right thing to do. And he would call me and I would go visit him or talk to him on the phone, whichever I felt or he felt needed to happen. And we went on like that for a while. When they moved into this home that uh, her parents had bought, by this time his friends, his lifetime friends had rejected him. He had talked openly about his thoughts of taking his life, openly about his addictions, and eventually the stigma got to his friends and they rejected him. They would not talk to him. They would have nothing to do with him. 
he, he was virtually left alone in that house without his friends. His fam- his wife's family rejected him, which was stunning that they would reject him. Anyone in their time of need, desperate, desperate need. We were, my husband and I, at one point on a Labor Day. Labor Days are kind of tough for me. One Labor Day, um, the Labor Day, his last Labor Day, we were at an event, my husband and I, and I got a phone call from him, and he told me he was going to shoot himself. And as always, I'm going to issue a trigger warning, maybe too graphic for some people. That is not my intent. My intent is to bring awareness and to save lives. So he called me and he had a gun. And mind you, he had several because he was an outdoorsman. He he was ready at that point. And it's now that is what I call the red zone. That was the moment. If you if you can't stop them at that point, then um, it's not a good thing. I rushed to his house. He had the gun. He was extremely sad and depressed and wondering where God was in all of this. Why wasn't God helping them? what what's going on how come he can't change the things that he had happened in his life and billy i i was so scared i just sat by him i was so scared and eventually i just listened he did eventually calm down and um, I didn't know if I could leave or not. I, I didn't want to leave him alone with his wife or or alone. And I did not know what to do. But there again, he assured me he'd be okay for the night. And he did give me his gun. I took it home and had a few days reprieve of uh, not worrying about that. And the next time that happened, his wife called me to go to their house. And again, he had the gun. And I talked him into giving me the gun for good that time. He did give me the gun. The rest of his weapons were rifles. So he did give me the gun. And so I kept it. I hid it. I would not tell him where it was, obviously. And I, again, had a few days reprieve. And I want to, at this point, tell people that If you think you have removed all of the weapons of choice, there are more ways than one to end your life. So it was a couple months after that. 
his wife called again, and I called him. I was on my way to the house and told him I was going to call the authorities. He needed help. And he said, he reiterated what he had told me before. If you call them, I will end it before they get here. I will not go back to that facility or anywhere. He would not leave his house or leave his wife. So I turned around and I came home and I wailed. I did not know what to do. I did not know what to do. I was, we were at an impasse. Uh, I simply could not do uh, anything. So a few days later, his wife called again. This time, I did not call him. I took my husband and I went over to the house. And this is going to get very graphic if anyone needs to not listen from this point forward. I've never spoken of this. It's extremely difficult. However, people need to hear it to keep people safe. So we went into the house and he had fashioned a noose in the basement and he actually had it on, but he was not uh, uh, using it, so to speak. My husband was shocked and went over to him and removed it off of his neck. And the three of us sat and talked and we tried everything we could possibly think of to help him. My husband offered, Jared's father offered Jr. as a man, come live with us. We will do whatever we need to do for you. You don't have to worry about a thing. We'll put you back into the rest of your college because he had started college. Um, we'll we'll do whatever we need to do. Just just leave this house and leave this person. And what brought all of this on so so quickly uh, that made it um, rapidly decline was his wife had served him with divorce papers in their house. Had those papers served, and that is. The point of his complete lack of hope. And he said to us that he was in so much pain, his heart was in so much pain, and it was just painful to breathe and to live. And he just wanted to be free of all of that pain of everything. He wanted to be free of it. He did not want to die, but he did not want to live with the pain any longer. And he had no hope. 
And we talked to him, offered him, again, everything we could possibly think of. And we so wanted to take him with us. And he's a man. We could not force him. Uh, there may be those that say, yes, you could have forced him. No, you you can't do you. We could not do that. And he told us that he said, he told us both that he, he loved us. However, we could not babysit him 24-7. And after a bit more talking, uh, we came home. And one day later, he was found dead by using that same noose that we had taken down and we thought we had hidden it which we did, we actually took it away, but he had more. So, you know, he told me he had a plan a year or two before that. And being the inexperienced person that I was, I did not realize how close he was at that time. And he... He carried through with that plan. And uh, for that, we look back and we think to ourselves, what what more could we possibly have done? He talked freely about it. We talked freely about it. We did absolutely everything. To this day, we cannot think of anything more we could have done. Short of, like my husband said, actually tying him up and dragging him into the car. But we remember his words that we could not be with him 24-7. And that began another part of JR's story that we are now living. Jenny, for you to really go all, I can feel the emotion, the tears are out. And it blows me away because you're able to tell this in such a confident and calm and meaningful matter so everybody else can see this, be aware of the possibilities, the tragic possibilities. And I know talking about this as we go on, it still doesn't get easier. It's a very, very sensitive subject and you're really on a roll. You're doing a phenomenal job, a marvelous job of detailing and allowing us into this story. And I want to go forth and just ask because the emotions are out. And like I said, and as we know, you haven't done this before. And I think this will really, really speak a lot. I want to ask you, Jenny, what was it like when you found out? What was the moment? I know that takes you back to the worst singular moment of your entire life. But to share the awareness that we have in our minds, that goal to really bring attention to this, can you kind of detail 
what you were feeling because that's an emotion that a lot of individuals have never experienced. And let's hope they never even have to think about it. But this situation is the most extreme situation known to man. So in depth, whatever you want, it doesn't have to be too in there. If it's not comfortable, whatever you want, Jenny, but can you kind of detail the emotions and just how you felt after you got word? I can't even imagine, but I know this will just really speak volumes. Well, Billy, I have been a first responder for victim services for our law enforcement here in town for several years. And I have been to suicide scenes. I have been to all types of deaths and accidents and and just about anything you could think of in a town in Wyoming. And I work very, very closely. We're a team. We talk about it. We debrief. We do all of those things. So you think that there's nothing that is going to shock you. You think that uh, that you you can handle anything because you've walked into anything. But the difference is it hasn't been uh, my anything. It's been other people's anything. And I was at work, and I was at I had just retired from one job after working there twenty some years, and had just gotten another job in a different office and fairly new coworkers. I went out and walked before work like I always do early, early in the morning, came to work, and I let me preface this with the evening before one of my co co victim services people had contacted me and said, you might want to go see if your son is okay because he showed up at an eating establishment here. His wife was with another man and your son showed up and kind of made a scene and drove home and he was quite distraught. And I went, drove to his house that evening, saw his truck in the garage and I did not go in. I did not knock. I thought he's safe at home. It's going to be fine. And that was my mindset. Even though we had just been through what we went through, my husband and I with him. I thought, okay, he's safe at home. It's going to be okay. He came home. So I am at work. And two of my coworkers, one one police officer that I've known for years, and um the victim services manager came in and I thought, oh boy, they're here about last night, seeing if I went to his house and that type of thing. That's actually what went through my head. And they took me into a room and they said, Jenny, GR's dead. And I literally collapsed on the floor and I lost all muscle. I could not stand up. I could not think. I could not hear. 
I, it was the single most devastating moment I have had in my life up to this point. I felt like my heart had just been ripped out of my chest. And I'm sorry, I've never talked about this before, but it's so important for people to know that this does not have to happen. And if it does happen, you know you've done everything you could possibly do to prevent it. And at that moment, I knew, I knew I had done everything I could possibly do to prevent it. And in one way, I was set free from worrying and anxiety and those types of things, as was he. And on the other hand, I was now facing a life without my son. So... um we went in their car to go to my husband's work and tell him. And that is, I cannot explain how gut-wrenching that is and was. You know, that's my husband's son and, you know, carry on the family line and all that kind of thing. And that was gone. In in an incident, it was gone. And we proceeded to go to our daughter's home. And she is JR's older sister and tell her. And it's just something that the reason I do this is I do not want anyone to ever have to go through this. I know it's going to happen. I know suicide is going to continue to happen. But if we, I, or Jared's story can do anything to help people and prevent it and save lives, that is our goal. Jenny, you're a beast. You're one of a kind. You should be so extremely proud of yourself for hopping on this and really getting into it really letting it all flow out, let the honesty remain evident, and let the story really be told. I could not be more grateful to be conversing with you about this because I don't know. I can't say I know, but I do understand how hard it is. I couldn't even put my brain or my heart or my soul in your place, but for you to tell it here it's going to impact just one, two, three. It doesn't matter. It's going to change lives. That is a guarantee. We did it all throughout my time in Casper on Good Morning Wyoming, and now we're taking the next step. You reached out. You wanted to tell this on a podcast platform to really let all of it loose, and you're doing that day by day, episode by episode, lives will be changed and your story will really leave an influence unlike any other. And as we move along to episode three, coming out in just a few weeks, that's where we're really going to talk about JR's Hunt for Life, the birth of what you created to continue on promoting what people need to hear 
when it comes to mental health, suicide, and of course, prevention. So we don't have to deal with this. We don't have to hear more stories. We can end it and really put a limit on all those tragic acts that we see. And this is going to be huge. Jenny, thank you so much for really, really doing it. I mean, come on, girl. You really went for it. And this is a testament to who you are as a human, someone who loves at the highest level, you care deeply, and most importantly, you want to help change lives so nobody has to experience that heart-ripping deal you did. Never. No. Please, no. Jenny, couldn't be more appreciative. You are something else. This has been great. Episode three is going to come out in a couple of weeks. Jenny, again, bravo. Unbelievable. I'm so thankful for you. Well, Bailey, I appreciate you so much. And I could not have done this truly without having you uh, by my side. You've always been very comforting, very easy to talk to and communicate with, and absolutely an understanding, compassionate person. That's what you are. I appreciate it. And we're going to do this together. And the next episode, we're going to talk about JR's Hunt for Life and what we do and how we can save lives. I cannot wait for it. Jenny, game recognized game. Real recognized real. It's all love. It's all respect. To our listeners, we will see you in a couple of weeks. Stay up, keep that head up, and pass on happiness. I'll leave you with that. Jenny, we'll see you soon. See you soon, Billy. You've been listening to JR's Hunt for Life Suicide Prevention Podcast Safe Talk with Jenny Hunter and Billy Floyd, where there are no judgments and talk saves lives. Jenny Hunter is the founder of JR's Hunt for Life, a suicide prevention nonprofit movement offering hope and support globally. I'm Billy Floyd. I'm a podcast host, a media broadcaster, and most importantly, a positive influencer. Sounds of Soul Music is courtesy of Fearless Motivation. Find out more about JR's Hunt for Life at jrshuntforlife.org. If someone in your life is feeling suicidal, it's important to take immediate action. Here are some steps you can take to help. Number one, stay calm and listen. It's important to approach the situation with a calm demeanor. Listen to their concerns and validate their feelings. No judgments. Let them know you're there to help and support them. Number two, take it seriously. It's crucial to take any suicidal thoughts or feelings seriously. Don't downplay or dismiss their concerns. And don't promise confidentiality if you feel the person is in immediate danger. Number three, seek professional help. Encourage the person to seek help from a mental health professional like a therapist or a counselor. 
offer to help them make an appointment and offer to accompany them to their first session. Be sure to follow through. Number four, call emergency services. If the person is in immediate danger, call 911. If it's safe for you, stay with the person until professionals are with them and continue to offer support. Number five, remove potential means. If you know the person has access to firearms, medications, or other potentially lethal objects, try to remove them from the person's immediate environment as long as it's safe for you to do so. If it is not safe for you to remove potential means, advise emergency services of the situation. Remember, Suicidal thoughts and feelings are a sign of intense emotional pain and should be taken very seriously. By offering support and taking appropriate action, you can help someone in crisis get the help they need. Another thing to know is that 988, the National Crisis Line, which used to be 1-800-LIFELINE, cannot track your location unlike 911. Therefore, they cannot directly send an ambulance to you and must make several phone calls to do so. Additionally, when you call 988, they will connect you to a regional crisis center based on the area code from which you were calling. So it's essential to know the appropriate crisis line to call based on your location and the level of crisis. If someone actually did something to try to not be alive, call 911 or take them to the ER. If they are thinking about doing something, consider calling 988 first. They can help you decide if you need to take additional steps. Action and ideas are two different things. You can learn how to tell them apart and what to do about it, as well as find more information and support around suicide prevention by joining our private Facebook group at JR's Hunt for Life, a confidential safe space where there's no judgment and talk saves lives.